Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 103. Good morning. Our lines are open. Always 18103103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862103103. Ahead on this morning's show, the Cork Simon community, they have published their second Home Truths paper. And this is focusing on vacant homes in Cork and how one in every three vacant homes within Cork has been vacant for at least seven years. We're going to speak with the report author Sophie Johnson on this. And staying in that vein, derelict sites, well, a site order has been put on to the former Central Hotel in Mallow Bush. Will actually anything happen to this location? After years of campaigning for something to be done, it still remains the way it is. I know they have put up uh, a kind of a board around the uh, what was the, the former hotel and some paintings on that board. But outside of that, it still remains. So what will happen? We'll be discussing that this morning on the show. And why over 9,000 students were suspended last year from both primary and secondary schools. Children's Rights Alliance are asking questions and why indeed this is happening. We'll be speaking with them this morning on this. And we'll also hear from a group of mothers who got together to promote participation of sport for their children. It kind of expanded and now they're off to play football in New York. Uh, later this morning, we'll chat with the Milamus from Ahiol and also from 1230 Peter Dodal is along with gardening advice. So if you have anything you want to ask Peter, email us across the show, corktoday at c103.ie. Uh, but there's some good news, at least this morning. You would have heard Barrier earlier on the news bulletins uh, for energy-related news because there's a, a double down when it comes to prices for energy bills. Uh, first of all, we have the reductions that we were promised earlier uh, from the majority of energy providers. And then inflation is also cool which means more interest rates, uh, the hikes that we've seen, they should be off the table over the next number of months. So electricity and gas prices for Electric Ireland, SSE, Airtricity and prepay power, they're all falling today by between 10% and 13.5%. And then from Monday, Flow Gas, they will slash their electricity and gas prices by 30%, followed by a few days later, where Borgosh Energy is said they're going to cut their prices by 15.5%. So it's some good news for the consumer. We'll chat more about that, if not today, on the show tomorrow. But interesting, energy suppliers, by law, they must give 30 days notice of a price change. And it seems that in this case, and what many are saying was an unusual move, uh, most of these suppliers have announced that their price decreases around two months in advance, meaning householders then had to wait longer for the cuts to come into effect. You'd wonder if they were increasing the prices, would you get as much notice? Anyhow, uh, they have reduced and they are done. Well, some of them have reduced today and the others then will reduce into next 
next week from Monday onwards. So at least some good news anyhow when it comes to energy costs. I know they're, by what they're going down uh, isn't as much as how they went up so fast over the last two to three years, but at least uh, they're going down anyhow and not another rate increase. So that's something to be thankful about. And we discussed this earlier on in the year and indeed last year on the show. And there was mixed views to whether nightclubs uh, would you like to see a nightclub stay open or some bars until 6am? Well, it could happen from next summer because the country's licensing laws that are set to be overhauled. And as we've discussed over the last year, they've been negotiating this and they've been back and forth. But seemingly now it will happen from the summer where we will see nightclubs opening until 6am. Uh, it comes under the uh, Justice Department. So it's the Minister Helen McAtee is preparing to split uh, the legislation underpinning the change into two parts in a bid to ensure that it can pass both the Houses of the Oroctus uh, in time for the summer coming. Uh, this is called the General Scheme of the Sale of Alcohol Bill and it's expected to be published within the next few weeks. It's replacing what they feel is the outdated existing legislation some of which predates the foundation of the state. Uh, however though a decision has yet to be made in relation to what elements will be delayed around this. Uh, government sources are saying that what it is on track, a final decision uh, of what aspects would be uh, published have not yet been finalised. Minister McAtee has said in interviews that this is a priority area for her, uh, but the new legislation will permit uh, the nightclubs to open until 6am, but alcohol, they'll have to stop serving at the bar at 5am and then pub hours, they'll become more regular where the pub will be open from 10.30am until 12.30am, seven days a week and late night bars will remain at the existing closing time of 2.30am and then the licensing, well that will continue to be granted through the courts but the applications now will be heard in the district court instead of the circuit court and of course fees are, are reduced and it's cheaper to go to the district court so that will have um, a benefit to those who run bars and nightclubs and it doesn't stop there off licenses are something we always get calls about when we mention the changes that are coming down the road uh, with regards to bars and maybe the price of drink and all of that. Well, the reform will also uh, allow off licenses now to open from 10.30 a.m. in the morning until 10 p.m. every day of the week, as opposed to a 12.30 p.m. opening on Sunday under the current rules and there is mixed views on this. I mean, those who run uh, the nighttime economies in the major cities and big towns, they're welcoming the move and they feel it's in line with what is happening in other cities and towns in Europe. But when people come here and they decide to uh, spend a weekend in Ireland and they may be coming from uh, France or Germany or other parts of Europe, they're kind of taken back when they see nightclubs closing at 2 or indeed 3 a.m. So they welcome this, but public health concerns have then been raised about the extension of the licensing laws, many feel uh, that it encourages drinking. And outside of the drink, there's the antisocial behaviour aspect of this. And again, even with the antisocial behaviour, people feel, well, at least if a nightclub is open later, you don't have everybody piling onto the streets of a town or a city at the same time. So some feel that will be of benefit, 
others feel it won't. Your views are welcome on that. You can email us corktoday at c103.ie or make contact with us via the C103 app. And of course, we mentioned yesterday Bruce Springsteen, who is coming to Cork in May of next year. And what happens? Well, once he announced the dates and they were all confirmed, hotel prices started to increase. We've had a look at hotel prices this morning. First of all, uh, before we go to Cork, outside of Cork, uh, one four-star hotel, uh, this is in Dublin, is now charging €489 for a room uh, on the night that he plays Dublin. But the same room would set you back €188 if you booked it for the following week on the same night. So he's in Dublin on Thursday, May 19th. If you go online and book it on the following Thursday, there's over a 300 euros difference. And then the same in Belfast, one hotel has uh, quadrupled their price uh, for their cheapest room. On May the 9th, they're asking for 480 euros compared with just 101 euros a week earlier. And we looked online this morning on booking.com. And this was the Cork dates on uh, May 16th next year uh, when he arrives here at the Lee site. And for both Cork and Kilkenny, according to Booking.com, there wasn't any availability. And then we went back again this morning and checked just before we came on air. And when I went on uh, Travago, which is another uh, site similar to Booking.com, basically a comparison site, uh, they did give uh, further offerings. And there was three hotels in the city with prices ranging from €415 to €646 to €926 if you decided to stay for one night on the 16th of May in next year, the night that Bruce will play in Parky Cueve. But then, if you wanted to get a cheaper option, there was hotels just outside the city for around €285 for that night. And further outside, uh, an average costing then for two adults was €521. So uh, if you go further out, you... What you, some might say maybe better value, uh, but still, it's a high cost if you are traveling to Cork. And I know people will say, well, if you're in Cork, would you be staying over? But a lot of people will be traveling from various parts of Cork. Uh, so if you want to go and see Bruce and you're traveling from Castletown Bear or Newmarket or other areas, you will make a night of it and stay over uh, because you may not want to be traveling down. Now, at these prices, I think a lot of people will make the journey and travel up and down. But that is where the impact is coming with hotel prices anyhow from when we were looking at them this morning on uh, Booking.com and Travago. So lines open. Your views are welcome. Bernie taking those calls across the show on 0818 103 103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 086 We were discussing there about hotels increasing their prices for concerts in particular the Bruce Springsteen concert that is uh, heading our way next May and a few people who are commenting on that on the example we gave of prices first of all someone is saying if you contact the hotels directly because they feel that Booking.com and some of the other comparison sites hike the prices around this uh, they say give the hotel a chance to be reasonable by talking to them in person or on the phone uh, well some of those actually are booked out the majority of, te- of the hotels even if you ring them the, the, the ones we did they were booked out and that might be prior 
prior to the uh, Bruce Springsteen concert ever uh, being announced because there is a problem in Cork in more so the city area where there is not enough hotel beds and that's why there's been a few new hotels opening in the last number of years here in Cork but uh, while it's a positive that there's a lot of people taking city breaks in Cork more so in the last number of years it then does have a problem whereby if there's not enough beds they get booked out fairly fast so a majority of the, of the hotels that you would go for are booked out. So I suppose the next best thing then uh, for people is to check out uh, the hotel booking sites. Interesting though, those ones that are mentioned on the hotel website, the prices roughly are around the same anyhow. Uh, but overall, the majority of hotels are booked out for that night in Cork. And again, uh, while there is demand for that night, we are seeing a problem in Cork with the lack of hotel beds, which in a way is a positive because it means people do want to come here and spend time in Cork. And then there's the corporate side of it as well, where companies will host different events and they will take up rooms in hotels for whatever event they are hosting. Uh, your views are welcome on that. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Uh, but something different. This is the Cork Simon community who published their second home truths paper yesterday. And this paper, it focuses on vacant homes in Cork. We're going to speak with the report author Sophie Johnson on this next. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Cork Simon Community has published its second Home Truths report which focuses on vacant homes in Cork. The Department of Housing Records showed that 536 homeless adults were in Cork in the month of September. Report author is Sophie Johnson who joins me. Good morning to you Sophie. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us this morning. Looking at this report, Sophie, the figures are stark. And one that jumped out at me when I was reading this yesterday afternoon is that there are nine long-term vacant homes to every one adult in emergency accommodation in Cork. That's right. That's right, John Paul. Um, Overall, their census reported, census 2022 reported 17,000 vacant homes across Cork. Um, and for the first time, census looked at the number of long-term vacant homes. And they did this by um, comparing the data on vacant housing from census 2022 with that from census 2016 and also from census 2011. So what we, what, what, what we found was that of the 17,000 vacant homes across Cork, almost 5,000 of those are long-term vacant. And with, as you said, the numbers that are in emergency accommodation, this actually equates to nine long-term vacant homes for every adult in emergency accommodation. Um, and that's, that's across all of Cork. Um, and I suppose this long-term vacancy count, you know, we have, uh, Census has reported previously on vacancy, um, point-in-time vacancy. And the argument has always correctly been made that many of those homes could easily be occupied again within a short period of time. If, for example, they're for sale, you know, they will be occupied again within weeks or months. But now that we have this long-term vacancy figure, this gives a very good indication of the number of homes that could potentially be brought back into use. And it is also a very conservative number. Uh, it's a, a conservative way of of uh, of, of, of um, figuring out this number. You know, it's over seven years, like it's a seven year gap between 2022 and 2016. Um, and that, of course, is is because of 
the way the census is conducted. It's usually every five years and it was delayed because of COVID. Um, but this, so this gives us this this gives us a really good indication of the number of homes that could be brought into you back into use. And as I said, it is a very conservative number. You know, twelve months would be a fair um, a fair uh, gauge for long term vacancy. Um, and another another aspect that we that we noted kind of in the report, uh, as well as long term vacancy, for the first time since the CSO reported on reasons for vacancy. And what what we found was that of the more than 17,000 homes that are vacant across Cork, this is vacant now at any you know at, at, at point in time vacancy, almost 3,000 are actually vacant rental properties. Um, and among among those, 650 are long-term vacant. So that's, that's about one in five are long-term vacant. So again, vacant for you know, seven or more years. Um, and uh, this is quite odd when you think about not just the housing crisis, but the if we narrow it down to the rental crisis, that there's such a, such a high number of vacant rental properties. Yeah, obviously um, the landlord doesn't need the money or, or, or is no rush to, to rent out uh, those vacant homes. And when we speak about those vacant homes, Sophie, I mean, they don't include holidays or derelict houses. It's, it's not, we're not, we're not including these in, in the figures you're speaking about. That's correct. It doesn't include holiday homes, derelict properties, uh, homes under construction or homes where the, um, where the owner is just temporarily absent around the time of, of, of census. And while, while uh, we're all familiar with census night, census enumerators actually um, work, on the census, uh, work, work on the vacancy data over about a 10-week period. So it's very robust. They have um, you know, very robust uh, instructions um, a very robust methodology that they that they follow, um, and uh, in terms of working out the reasons for vacancy, um, they they would visit the property a number of times. In, in terms of working out vacancy, they they visit the property a number of times to be sure that it is vacant, and they make inquiries with neighbours. Um, and similarly, in terms of working out the reason uh, for vacancy, um, and it it's curious, you know, that that figure of almost. 3,000 vacant rental properties across Cork, uh, because if we compare it to the number of properties available to rent on Daft, there's a huge discrepancy. Um, For example, Daft's most recent report showed just 173 properties available uh, on August 1st of this year. And even if we compare it to the same time um, as census 2022, which was in April, uh, you know, the uh, Daft report from February 2022 showed 211 properties on Daft, falling in May to um, 131. That, that would be on a single day on May 1st. So there's a huge, huge discrepancy. And while Daft is not the only advertising option, it is a very popular one. And it does highlight this this significant discrepancy between the number of vacant and the number of available properties.
Yeah, so, and you're right, we've had a number of uh, new staff joining us here in the radio station over the past two to three months and the biggest problem they had was finding accommodation uh, to live in Cork and they were checking those sites like daft.ie, like myhome.ie and, and other sites that you know look at the rental market and there wasn't a lot out there and many of them just ended up staying with a friend until they you know could, could find a property. And from calls, Sophie, we get here uh, and in particular from single people who are the ones who find it hardest to get a mortgage or purchase a home. Many rely on the rental sector as well. But because of the high rents and the lack of supply, they end up also, you know, staying with friends or, or ending up couch surfing a lot of the time. And when we say single people, I mean, we have to remember as well, there's uh, there's those out there who may have been mar- married over the, the course of a number of years. The marriage could have broken up. So they now fall into the single category. There's a lot of factors to this then. And those people are still looking for homes to rent, but you can see how homelessness can, you know, see, you can see how someone could fall into homelessness quite easily. Uh, in particular, I suppose, Sophie, after a marriage breakup. Absolutely. Absolutely. Relationship breakdown is um, one of a number of main factors that can lead to homelessness. And, um, and exactly as you said, John Paul, in terms of single adults and the challenge of finding private rented accommodation, um, we definitely found that with our last Home Truths paper, which focused on single adults in the southwest, And the, the majority of adults in homeless emergency accommodation are single adults. And by far in the southwest, the majority of adults are single. And um, they, there is a huge, like they're, they're, they're especially dependent on the private rented sector to exit. So they're at, a, at an extra disadvantage when they're searching for, for those exits from homelessness. And as you said, low supply, driving high rents and single people in particular um, are locked out of the private rented market. And, um, you know, when we see, when we see this, this large discrepancy between the number of vacant and the number of available properties, um, it is interesting what could be going on there. Um, and I think if we had better insights as to why so many rental properties are vacant, uh, targeted incentives perhaps could be brought in to encourage those properties in particular back into the market um, and they could be part of the solution to the housing and homelessness crisis that is roaring along. Yeah, and within this report you spoke with service users of Simon. What did they say? That's right. Um, they, 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 they expressed frustration and upset um, at, they were were very, very well aware of um, the the prevalence of empty homes um, in the city, and they 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 spoke about their frustration, their upset. One woman said lives could be saved. Another um, uh, described these vacant homes as homes with no function, and compared it to the number of people that are in emergency accommodation, that are searching for accommodation, and they see these homes with no function, as they put it. Somebody else described um, having slept rough and walking the streets and passing these empty homes in the stark contrast of that. And as that person also said, you know, when you're homeless, you walk a lot. Uh, And they were readily able to list the vacant homes um, and the areas where they would where they would see them, you know, um, and um, yeah, very, very, very well aware of yeah. that. 
has to be tough if you're walking around the city streets and, and looking at these buildings. And we're not all about, as I mentioned earlier in, in our chat, somebody has WhatsApped in saying, what about the list of properties or falling buildings uh, in many of our towns and cities? Some are a danger to the public. And while they are, these are not the buildings we're speaking about. These are simply vacant buildings that have not been rented out. And I know the vacant home taxes, that has been rolled out. But how do we compare to other nations on this? That's right. So the um, the vacant homes tax was introduced last year and it was increased um, in budget 2024 last month, but it's still very low. Um, it increased for the average home from just 0.3% of the property's value to 0.5%. So that's very, very low and it's really, it's it's unlikely to be of much incentive, especially in comparison to house price inflation. And it is interesting when you look at how vacancy is dealt with in other countries. Um, in Vancouver, for example, they introduced a 1% empty homes tax, which would be half of what we currently have in place. They introduced a 1% empty homes tax in 2017, <coughs> excuse me, and they increased it incrementally to 3% by 2020. And over that three-year period, they reported a 26% fall in the number of vacant properties. They also reinvested that revenue in social housing. And actually just last month, Toronto in Canada also, they voted to increase their empty homes tax from 1% to 3%, no doubt influenced by the success of of, um, of the tax in Vancouver. So, um, you know, we could we could definitely learn from this. It's It's positive that our vacant homes tax was increased, but it really has a long, long way to go. Um, you know, it is it is very low, um, and especially when you compare it to house price inflation, uh, it's 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 not much of an incentive. You know, if, if a house yeah, just stays sitting there empty, it will increase in value. Another point that could be made too is landlords are going to be very careful of who they rent out a property to and if they feel someone uh, may damage a property or is not up to their standards, that could be a reason why they leave the property vacant. It could be. Uh, it could be. And I I don't think we know. Um, certainly, certainly not from the census data. You know, I suppose mm. they... They they gather they gather the numbers on vacancy. Um, that is that is possible. And again, I suppose more targeted incentives to encourage people with rental properties to bring them back into the rental market. Okay, well, it's an interesting report, uh, Sophie. Well done on on putting this together. And thanks for joining us this morning on the program. Thank you very much. Take care. That is Sophie Johnson there, who's author of that report uh, for the Cork Simon Community. Your views are welcome on 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. A derelict site order has been served on the former Central Hotel in Mallow less than a week after the matter was raised in the Dáil. Cork County Council has confirmed that it was one of a number of properties surveyed recently in terms of vacancy and dereliction. And Mallow Fianna Fáil Councillor Pat Hayes joins me on this. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, JP. Uh, the building in the centre of Mallow, it has been vacant since 2007 and despite a number of fires at the property, it couldn't be demolished because at the time it was a listed building. Then councillors got together and you got it delisted. So with this order now in place, what will actually happen with the building and indeed then the site? Um, I, I suppose good morning, listeners. Um, I suppose, as you've pointed out, it has been vacant, I suppose, for 16 years. 
and I, from recollection, I think there has been five fires in there since 2007. Um, there's been a number of different owners, you know, since 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 then uh, up, up to the present day. Uh, and at one stage, I think even the banks uh, owned owned the, the building at one stage. Um, and I suppose due 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 to the um, the dereliction order now, uh, the conclusion is, you know, that the building is unsafe. And 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 um, you know, I I think that um, it has it has to be I suppose removed uh, would be probably the most appropriate thing to do um, at this stage. Um, there is extensive um, cracking, you know, to the structure of the building, uh, and it and it is unsafe. So I think it's important now that you know we proceed and 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 try and get um, try and get the the, the site cleared. Um, Currently, I suppose the the present owner who, who who only has it, I think about a year and a half, maybe up two years, uh, recently had um, a pre-planning meeting, and uh, my understanding is that the the, the talks are ongoing, um, and I suppose look, we've made more progress in the last year and a half than we've had made in the last sixteen years, and I think that's you know it's it's important to point out that 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 we are trying to make progress and um it it, it is happening um so the pre-planning meeting is, is was held uh, recently uh, and i think there's another meeting planned uh, in, in the not so distant future um there's talks of of, of a hotel um, and apartments and, and a rooftop um a rooftop re- re- uh, restaurant now it's in a prime site a prime location it's looking out onto the town park and i think you know, we need to be conscious here. Mallow is a wonderful town. We've seen huge investment in Mallow. And, you know, there's been a lot of negative publicity around the Central Hotel. And Mallow is doing very well. And I think since 2019, we've seen huge investment in, in, in Mallow. You know, we've seen the upgrade of the, the sewage and wastewater treatment. It was $34 million. Mallow General Hospital, I'm chairman of the Regional Forum, Health Forum, which incorporates, you know, the Cockery Hospital Group. And we've seen investment there. Of 30 million uh, since since 2019, uh, you know we've seen the Patrician Academy has been rebuilt. The extension to Davis College there is 10 10 million, and also an extension to St Mary's Secondary School. The town park is wonderful. The walk with Mallow Castle. We recently opened a skate park. Um, so, so Mallow is making huge progress. Dairy Gold big investment in their treatment plant due to pressure. You know, which was ongoing from us, from the council, from the councillors. Yeah, um, and, and while that's all welcome and the investment you outlined there is of huge benefit to uh, Mallow and the entire region, yeah. uh, this building that we're speaking about, is the owner, the current owner, are they happy for the building to be demolished? And then if the building is demolished, who pays for this? Are the council going to pick up the tab of the taxpayer if someone owns this? Um, well, I presume, I presume, uh, JP, the, 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 if, the, if the building has to be demolished, the, the owners will have to take it down. So um, they'll be responsible for everything going into the future for this building? Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Would you agree with so many others that are on to us this morning that this particular building, it held Mallow to ransom over the years? And it's a pity now uh, that it's only in, in 2023 that it's been dealt with, considering uh, it's been ongoing since 07. Um. I, I, yeah, I suppose, you know, um, there's been different circumstances. As I pointed out, there's been a number of different donors. Um, there has been a number of planning applications in the past. Um, some were successful, others weren't. 
Um, and uh, I think you know the planning the planning process is a process. It's, it's a statutory process pro- process that 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 has to uh, take place. And I think the current owners are are in that process. And I think that um, it, it, it is it is making progress. And I think that it's very unfortunate that you know we've somebody here who's who's trying to do something you know with with this sterling site that has been there for the last 16 years this didn't happen a year or year and a half ago this happened back in 2007 and now we're absolutely making progress my fellow councillors you know we all agree this has to be done and we really have worked to try and make make progress on this and we are making progress so i think like matter is no different from any other county town if you take Fermoy, take Charleville, take you know any any other town, they all have vacant and derelict buildings. I think there's at least forty other vacant and derelict buildings on the main street in Mallow. You know, I recently walked it, and and you know there's there's a lot of vacant derelict buildings, but it's no different from any other county town. But I think there is progress being made, and I think with different incentives, you know, um, from from the government and from the uh, county council that that you know these these things can be turned around. And would you have agreed with Deputy Sean Sherlock, who many years ago called on the council to purchase the building, and he and others felt it could have been used for an immunity for the town of Mallow? Would that have been something you would have liked to have seen previous to what's happening now? Well, I suppose if if um, you know at, at the powers that be at the time, if they felt that was the right thing to do, I'm sure they would have done it. Um, you know, hindsight is a great thing. But what we are doing here is we're uh, working in the present and we're making progress on this. And it's, it's, we're absolutely making great progress on it. And I think it's a very positive outcome for Mallow. And I think that, um, you know, when, when this is done and we see what's, you know, proposed for the site and when it's cleared, um, it, it will be a positive. It will be a positive for, for, for the town and for, for the whole of North Cork. And very finally, a number of calls on this. Uh, Tom in Donrell, just one of them. And as you mentioned, the hotel more than likely probably will be knocked down. He feels the plaza that's at the bottom of Malatown should be removed and pushed there where the hotel location is. Uh, a number of other people saying that. Was there a missed opportunity over the years for the plaza to be based on this site rather than its current location where many feel, yes, you know, expand the footpath to do it up but don't take away a second lane of traffic that has really had a, a negative consequence uh, on the main street of Mallow. Would that have been something that could have been done prior to all of, of this now over the, the, the last yeah. uh, three to four years? Well certainly, you know, everybody agrees the plaza was a mistake and, and I think that, um, you know, closing off a line of traffic there was a mistake. Um, I have a business myself in the spa and I'm there for the last 40 years so I, I know exactly all about the traffic and, and how, it, how it operates and clearly um, I can, I, I, for a fact when the traffic lights are switched off there is absolutely no traffic in Mallow it flows very freely but I know due to you know health and safety and that we have to have maybe traffic lights but maybe we should replace them with pedestrian crossings rather than traffic lights and, and it would work an awful lot better but certainly the plaza I think would have been a wonderful site up there in the middle of the town, um, and 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 you know you've the direct access to the town park is just at the back yeah. of it. But that can't and, happen now; it's too late. Uh, well, I mean, I suppose the owners, um, that, that's a discussion really between the the owners and the planners. You know, I mean, if 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 the planners come on with an idea and they're willing to take that on board, and if 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 it's we live in a democracy, JP. 
we live in a democracy. Thankfully, you know, if you if you buy something here, it's yours, and um, you have to go through the process. Uh, we're not living in a, in, a, in, a, in a socialist country where, you know, you can't maybe own your own house or your own home. But thankfully here, you, uh, if, you, if you buy a property, it's yours. So and, you're uh, saying that it's in the hands of the owner what they wish to do, and I presume yeah, they, they'll, and they'll want to build a hotel or something that they can make money out of. And even if it wasn't, if they decided to walk away in the morning and the council took it over, I mean, then there would be a huge cost in uh, removing the plaza from the end of Malatown and starting up a new one. So it would kind of be a waste of money, would it? Well, well I, I, I do feel that we were very badly let down by... Um, the, uh, our, our Minister for Transport that the Northern Relief Road is, is, is really the, the key to this. We have been pushing for that. We were to get 1.1 million this year and they, he, he, Minister Ryan left a short a million. He only he, he gave us 100,000. Uh, he issued a Section 28 letter uh, more or less stopping the project um, and um, if we had a Northern Relief Road, you know, I don't think the plaza will really come into play because the heavy traffic is really what's causing the congestion in, in, in Mallow. The lorries, the articulated trucks, it's, it's a danger to pedestrians, it's a danger to everybody. Uh, they're coming down the main street in, in, in 2023. This is an absolute disgrace. I think the Northern Relief Road is key for Mallow, and I think the the sooner um, that we remove uh, Minister Ryan as, as Minister for Transport, the better for the country as a whole, because he has no interest in developing infrastructure in Ireland. And infrastructure is the key to jobs, to development, and the future development uh, of North Cork is, and, and of Mallow. That Northern Relief Road is key to the future development of North Cork and Mallow. And you say that, Pat, as a local Fianna Fáil councillor operating out of Mallow, but Fianna Fáil in government with the Greens, that the, that the Transport Minister should go. Yeah, I've, I've held a number of meetings with my colleague um, and, um, and we've had a number of meetings with, with um, Jack Chambers, he's junior minister in there, and, and with um, uh, Michal Martin and with Michael McGrath. And um, they're working extremely hard. In, in the background, and I know Simon Coven is also working in the background, um, and and uh, trying to get this money uh, out out to the department. And it's not it's not a huge amount of money. It's it's a million, and 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 uh, it's really what we needed this year to keep the project on track. And and. Uh, like it's it's not a it's, it's not a huge project, but it is a crucial project. You blame Eamon Ryan, though, the transport minister, for 100%. for, for he, Mallow's traffic woes at the moment due to this. Specifically, yeah, he specifically sent a letter and withdrew the funding for that relief road in Mallow. Okay, Pat, we have to go to news. I'll leave it there. I have more calls coming in regarding uh, the uh, derelict site uh, in Mallow of the Central Hotel. I'll get to those after 11, but thank you for joining us this morning on the programme. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is uh, Mallow-based Fianna Fáil councillor. Pat Hayes, your views are welcome. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. It's Cork today until 1. JP with you and our lines are open at 0818 103 103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp on 0862 103 103. A lot of calls in relation to hotel prices and how a lot of those hotels have increased prices. It would seem anyhow over the last 24 hours on the announcements of the Bruce Springsteen concerts. I'll get to those calls shortly, but we're going to stay on the site of the former Central Hotel in Mallow because Cork North Central Solidarity Deputy Mick Barry joins me. Good morning to you, Mick. Hiya, JP. I, I always... 
always like it when you have me waiting on the line and, and, and you have me listening to Thin Lizzy. That's no problem. <laughs> You're a fan of Thin Lizzy. OK, well, from Thin Lizzy to this uh, site that is derelict for a number of years, you raised the issue in the Doyle last week. And we're learning this morning now that there is a planning procedure in place with private owners. What would you see done with this site? Because it does seem the new owners who were, it looks like, only there about a year and a half, they could be now responsible to demolish this site. And new plans are in place for a hotel with apartments and a rooftop restaurant looking over the town park in Mallow? Well, there's two points that I would make about that, uh, JP. Uh, first one is that the, the fact that that site has been vacant and derelict for 16 years now, since the old Central Hotel closed down in the year 2007, that is completely unacceptable, right? Uh, that situation can no longer be allowed to continue. Uh, and there must be put something put in there, something which is of benefit uh, to the people of Mallow. It's an eyesore, it's an insult, and it's gone on way too long. And would you not think the proposal uh, that we have mentioned would be a benefit to Mallow? Well, the idea that I put out there when I first started campaigning on this issue was that uh, the site should be uh, acquired by Cork County Council by way of compulsory purchase order. Um, I think clearly um, the the owners, the private owners, are, are feeling a degree of pressure now. I'm not saying that that pressure comes just from the campaigning work that I've been doing. I think people in the town have been beginning to raise their voice uh, more loudly uh, on, uh, on uh, the issue. Um, the bottom line is, that the site needs to be developed. Um, if the private owners move quickly uh, to develop it um, and to put in something there that's of benefit and of use to the people in the town, uh, well, no one's going to uh, object uh, to that. But I think the pressure needs to be kept on in the meantime. So would you give these new owners a chance? They only owned the site seemingly for about a year and a half. So would you give them a chance to see if they will demolish the building and then redevelop it as their plans are in place? They're due to have another planning meeting with the council, it would seem, over the next while. Would you wait on that? I, I think the um, the protest should go ahead on Saturday uh, because I think what has happened is that there's been a game of ping pong going on here for a long, long time. Uh, on the one hand, you have the various private owners uh, who've, you know, uh, it shifted hands a number of times over those 16 years. And on the other hand, you have the senior council officials in the planning uh, department. And I think it is uh, high time uh, that a third party politely barged in on the conversation and said, look, we want to have our say here. And that third party, is the people of Mallow a clear message that this has gone on for far too long and we want to see progress in relation uh, to this. If there is um, a private development which is of benefit to the people of Mallow, as I say, no one's going to stand in the way of that. But if there's foot dragging and this is for show, well, then the idea that um, the, the site be taken into public ownership should be kept on the table. And for example, if the owners don't go ahead with this, then it, it, nothing happens. And if they decide to leave it 
and the public do get involved or it does go into public ownership eventually. Would you like to see a plaza being developed there? Because a number of calls and texts this morning, and there's too many to get it to go through, uh, are saying, as you're aware, there's a plaza at the end of Mallow Town that took away an extra lane of traffic. Uh, many feel now that is a mistake and should not have been built there and, f- and feel that the location of the central hotel in Mallow, that site, would have been ideal for a plaza. So would that be something you would be looking towards and then, of course, if that was to happen, you'd have to take away or reduce the other plazas. So there's a cost measure there to evaluate as well with this. Well, yeah, I'd make a couple of points about that, uh, JP. So, uh, first of all, uh, we have seen scenarios several times down through the years where it looked as though private developers were on the verge of uh, developing and then uh, at the last minute um, it, it was taken off the table, Okay. Uh, so certainly, you know, we're not going to go through that rigmarole uh, another uh, uh, two, two or three times. Uh, if this isn't developed uh, and very quickly, the idea of uh, public ownership needs to come onto the uh, agenda. So if, if it was the case that um, Cork County Council used its compulsory purchase uh, powers to have it in public ownership, uh, I wouldn't presume uh, you know, to step in there and say, oh, this is what should be done. Well, what I would say is that uh, there should be a strong element of democracy about it and that the council should have a genuine consultation with people in uh, the town. I've been asking people in the town what they would like to see there. Uh, many people have said uh, shops. Many people have said uh, a hotel. Um, many people have said uh, that there are young people who are at home who can't afford to rent or to buy uh, affordable uh, apartments. Many people have said the idea of a community hall uh, where young people could learn to dance or learn to box or, um, you know, community meetings could be held. Uh, the, the site actually goes back quite a distance. If you walk the lane uh, along the side of the old hotel, uh, it goes back quite a distance. And there is the possibility uh, of having not just one thing, but a number of, of different things uh, in there. For example, you could have shops uh, and apartments and the community hall. Uh, I think that would be entirely uh, possible. But the people of Mallow should have a real say uh, in relation to uh, to uh, that question. OK, well, for the moment, uh, there is a planning procedure in place and we'll have to wait and see what happens there with the new current owners and give them a chance to see if they can implement what they want done. But despite this, you feel pressure should be kept on the council and the owners. So you are going ahead with your protest this Saturday and it's at one o'clock. And is this outside that site in Mallow of the former Central Hotel you're having this protest? Yes, I'm asking people in Mallow to, to join me uh, at the site at one o'clock on uh, Saturday uh, and that people in the town, that their voices are heard. That 16 years is too long. It's way too long. We want it developed now. If the private developers put in something there that benefits the people of the town, fair enough. But if it's another false start, the council needs to step in, take it into public ownership and begin to act on this question. OK, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens and make over the next number of weeks on this. But thank you for joining us this morning. That is Solidarity Cork North Central Deputy Mick Barry on the future of the site of the former Central Hotel in Mallow. Of course, uh, over uh, the last uh, two or three days, we've heard about that derelict site order now being served on uh, that site in Mallow. A number of calls and texts on that. First of all, uh, somebody on WhatsApp saying Mallow uh, Bally needs another hotel in the town and feels that that site should be a 
convert it to a hotel. While Stephen and Kerry says, would the hotel have to be demolished, JP? Surely there's a lot of history tied up in the building. Uh, but it would seem from our conversation earlier uh, with uh, Councillor Pat Hayes that there's a lot of cracks in the building. So it looks like they will have to demolish it. Maybe they can save some of the outer parts of the building but between, between fires and other incidents over the last number of years. It does look like it will have to be demolished due mainly to a safety issue. If they can save anything historic, I'm sure they will try. But that's the way it's looking at the moment anyhow. But again, there's a long road to go uh, with regard to planning process too. So we'll have to wait and see and give the uh, new owners their right as well with this. Uh, and as Mick Barry has said there, uh, if uh, things don't move along fast, then maybe it is time for the council to intervene. That's why he is keeping the pressure on with that protest this coming Saturday outside uh, the former hotel site at one o'clock. Stephen and Kerry, thank you if you're on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And earlier when we were discussing uh, with uh, Councillor Pat Hayes about uh, the current plaza in Mallow and the lane of traffic that was taken away, he blamed Eamon Ryan, uh, the Transport Minister, for not granting that relief road for Mallow, which without this relief road for Mallow, it is then having a, a knock-on impact on traffic for the wider area and indeed for those travelling and commuting from Cork to Limerick. John says, good man, Pat. He is right. Eamon Ryan is the wrong man in the wrong place for this job. While Josie says he's hindering a lot of development in many areas of the country. Some areas need roads. Yes, we will use buses. We will use trains when they are available. But we also need a road infrastructure for trucks. Uh, Josie feels that Pat is right in what he said. While Bernadette in Donrell says, yes, it's evident to see that parts of North Cork are without road infrastructure, are indeed of parts of West Cork. Bernadette says, on travelling around the country over the summer past on breaks and short stays, she feels Cork has got a raw deal when it comes to road infrastructure. And Pat is right, we do need these roads. How come other parts of the country get motorways and nice dual carriageways? And in Cork, we do not. Not fair. Bernadette in Donnerell on 0818103103 and a lot more calls and comments on that. We'll get to those, but also a lot of calls and comments in on the fact that hotel prices have increased on the nights of Bruce Springsteen concerts, not only here in Cork, but right across the country. Uh, he plays next May. And while there was a big fanfare and excitement yesterday, uh, all those who wish to go to the concert and need to stay over uh, have realised that prices have increased on that. And Mark says, any sympathy I had for the hospital hospitality sector who suffered during COVID has just disappeared as they are prepared to fleece the public for occasions such as Bruce Springsteen concerts. Shame on them, says Mark on WhatsApp, while Magella says, I do agree with your earlier caller that if people ring the hotel, they may get a better price. But even at that, it's very apparent that prices for hotels went up for the night Bruce was playing. Uh, how come uh, sites like Booking.com, uh, they're fine on other days? After all, they are only a comparison site. Uh, but how come the day before and the day after and the weekends, the prices are normal, but on that one night, 
they increased. While Irene says, yes, ring the hotel as well or go into their website. But Irene has done this and she says there's only a small difference and many hotels are booked out. So uh, your reaction to the hotels increasing their prices uh, while many are booked out, prices have increased uh, for the night of the Bruce Springsteen concert. Your views are welcome. You can email Cork Today at c103.ie and on the way we're going to hear how over 9,000 students were suspended last year from both primary and secondary schools. We'll be speaking with the Children's Rights Alliance that's next and also we'll be speaking later before midday to a group of mothers who got together to promote participation in sport and they did this really for their children. And to show them that, you know, everybody can take part in sport uh, and it doesn't really uh, matter what age you are or what you do. It's just the fun of getting into sport. They set up a group and the group now has done so well over the last two years, so much so that they're off to play football in New York. We'll speak with the Mila Moose from Ahiol before midday. C103 Jobs. HGV drivers are wanted for the Cork area. You can call 086-176-9656 or email cmurphy at frsrecruitment.com. At the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll, they have vacancies for a part-time veterinary nurse and indeed an executive assistant. Full details are on their website at the donkeysanctuary.org.uk and an apprentice window fitter and indeed assistants are required for the Cork area. You must have your own transport. You can email your CV to William at energyglazing.ie or phone 086-327-1718. You'll find these details and more jobs now online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. More than 9,500 pupils were suspended in primary and secondary schools last year. This is information received by the Irish Examiner from Tusla under Freedom of Information. The figures represents a sharp increase on previous years and has prompted questions from children's rights advocates. Julia Hearn is a legal policy and services director at the Children's Rights Alliance and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Julie. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. Uh, looking at these figures, it does seem like a large number of uh, students expelled. And at this stage, I suppose clarity must be given to why so many suspensions are being imposed so regularly. Yeah, I think, you know, as you mentioned at the outset, you know, we have seen a sharp increase. And when you look at the figures that were released to the Irish Examiner, you know, there was an increase um, in primary schools from, you know, in and around 700 uh, for the previous two years. And that went up in 2021, 2022, so last school year. To just over 900, so 979 children. And if you think about it at primary school, that's an awful lot of children who are after being suspended. And then when you get to secondary school, you know, the figures have risen quite significantly up to just over 8,000, so 8,658 again for last year. And I suppose what we need to be thinking about is you know, first of all, the impact of suspension on a child, because, you know, obviously enough schools have procedures that they have to follow if they want to suspend a child. But we know from listening and hearing from children and young people that when they're suspended, it can often have a big impact on them in terms of, say, for some young people returning to school, but also, you know, being being set apart from their peers. And then it also has them labelled as, you know, potentially person who's causing a problem. And, you know, 
it is important that I suppose we look into these figures and figure, see is there a pattern emerging that in particular areas or particular schools are using suspensions more than others and if it is the most appropriate thing to be used because sometimes I suppose you know it is appropriate to suspend a child if all the proper procedures have gone through being gone through but we need to look at you know why is this increase happening and is there something else that can be put in place maybe to support teachers and to support schools to deal with maybe some of the challenging behaviors that children might have that may lead to a suspension before it actually gets to that point yeah you spoke there about the impact i mean for some a suspension from school it can have a lifelong impact it can. And, you know, if you think about it, if you're if you're a particularly if you're, you know, in secondary school and it's one, maybe one subject where something has happened and you get suspended, then all of a sudden it might impact in and all the other subjects you're doing. But also it, it's, it can stay with you and it stays on the record and it, it kind of can hang over your head. And, you know, what's really important, I suppose, is that people know that, you know, when a child is suspended, that there are certain procedures schools have to go through. So we have a legal information line in the Children's Rights Alliance. And this is often a query that comes to us where, you know, a parent or a young person themselves may feel that the suspension wasn't warranted in the situation. And what we would say to them is that every school is required to have a code of behaviour. And in that code of behaviour, they should set out what they will do when things happen. And it's important that if a suspension happens, that a parent or a child goes back to the code of behaviour and makes sure that all the steps are followed so that, you know, they've done all the things they'd say they'll do before they resort to something that is quite, you know, drastic for a child, such as a suspension. And then still, if families aren't happy, they can appeal that. And there's a couple of different ways in which they can do it initially to the board of management. And then there's also another appeals mechanism. So I think it's important, you know, to understand what the rights of the child are in the family in that situation. But then also in a bigger picture piece, we need to be looking at what supports we put in earlier to schools to make sure that if a young person has a challenging behaviour, that it isn't, let's resort straight to a suspension. It's, well, what can we put in place to make that? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Work better in the classroom for both the student, for the other, for the other young people in the class, and also for the teacher themselves, so that they can do the job of teaching. Yeah, exactly. Because the schools need to address any of these issues of suspension; they could be prevented, and you would line the various measures that that could prevent them there. But with all these figures we are hearing, and, and they're quite high, uh, Julie. You know, when you see a figure of nine and a half thousand pupils suspended in both primary and secondary, behind these figures, there's a reason for this, and why it may be down to behaviour. It could also be due to uh, a child's life at home or other family issues, which mm. could relate then, and unfortunately, bring that to the school. Indeed, it can. And, you know, what's really important, I suppose, and it's something that we've been looking at lately is, you know, coming out of the pandemic and the impact we know that that has had on children and young people and their mental health and on other areas of their lives, that we need to be looking at how we can support the school system to address some of these measures. So, you know, you have in DESH schools, which is schools that are operating primarily in areas where there's where there's significant levels of disadvantage. They have extra supports in place to help retain the child in school 
school, but also support the family and support the engagement between the school and the family called a homeschool community liaison officer. And that is that is a key person within those schools that can, you know, as you say, engage with the families, engage, you know, if a child maybe, you know, another thing that came out in this report is the level of absences over 20 days, engage in families where maybe children aren't attending school as regularly as they should be and support them in maintaining them in their education. And this is something that doesn't exist in all schools. And it is something that we should be considering bringing into all schools, be it that there's maybe a network within a particular area where all schools have access to it. Because we know that in schools where they don't, it's the principal and the teacher that spends a lot of time trying to do this engagement and they can't you know, get down to the job of actually teaching. So I think it's worth looking at all the wider supports that we can put in place within the school system that can really support children and young people both in terms of suspensions, but also in terms of, you know, maintaining them in their education, because we do know that that is key for any child or young person to stay in school. And just on those pupils who may not be turning up to school, and this may not be for uh, mm. uh, regarding illnesses, it could be for a different reason. Don't parents have a responsibility mm. as well to ensure their child goes to school? I mean, isn't that something in place that a child cannot be missing more than a number of days? There is indeed. And, you know, any ab- any amount of absences over 20 days have to be notified to SLA's Education Welfare Services. And then they then can engage with the school and the family around that. But we do know that post-COVID that there has been a large increase. And the, the article in the examiner outlines that, that there's been a large increase in terms of the number of absences. And we know the TUSLA themselves are doing a lot of work in terms of trying to place renewed emphasis and focus on the need to be in school every day where possible because that is key for a child or a young person and I think you know working with parents and families is key for this and because you know sometimes there could be legitimate reasons like illness why a child is out but in other cases you know there may be other issues going on with the family and I think making sure that parents are supported first of all to recognize the importance of going to school daily and then also then supported in terms of if there are any barriers kind of becoming coming in 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 between that happening. Um, and I think, you know, it is really important that that everyone works together because, you know, the benefits of being a school, it's not just the education, which is obviously vitally important, but there's social benefits, you know, making relationship with your peers, engaging in other activities. We know that children are more likely to engage in extracurricular activities when they're in and around the school. So I think there's a lot of benefits to being part of the school community. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're looking at it in a holistic way and that we're supporting the families and the parents and the child and the young person themselves to, to, have, to stay in school and to be in school as long as possible. Yeah, true. As they say, a lot of life learning goes on as well outside of the education mm. aspect uh, within both primary and secondary schools. Very finally, uh, on the figures that have come out for both those suspended and being absent from school, mm. it does differ from region to region, even outside of desk schools, just from various regions of mm. the country. There is a difference. There is. Now, we don't have the breakdown when it comes to the suspensions, but with the absences, there is. And what we've seen is that there are certain parts of the country where maybe, you know, there's higher numbers of of children not attending school um, and being absent for a high number of days. So, for example, Leitrim had the highest total number of days lost in secondary school, both last year and the year before. 
and it's up in and around between 17 and 19 percent of students so that is a lot of young people who are struggling to attend school and you know that could be as I say for various reasons so I think it's really really important that we look at targeting those areas where we know school attendance isn't where it should be and seeing well what are the barriers that are that are that are stopping this from from children being at school as on the regular basis is there are there particular things that can be done within those communities to support the message that school attendance is incredibly important very true. Well, for the moment, uh, we'll leave it there, Julie. Interesting figures that were released uh, under that Freedom of Information by Tusla and indeed by the Irish Examiner. But for the moment, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. That is Julie Ahern there. She's Legal Policy and Services Director at the Children's Rights Alliance. Court today on C103. What started out as an activity for mothers and others aged over 25 to try out Gaelic football, the Mila Moose of Kilnamila Ladies Football Club in Ahiol has certainly grown over the years and now they're ready to set off and play stateside. Rosaline O'Brien, who was coordinator for Mila Moose, joins me. Good morning to you, Rosaline. Good morning, JP. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. Uh, just take us back, first of all, because when this started out, uh, no one thought it would grow the way it has. I remember we spoke to you and others at the time, many joining up because they used to play sport and they just wanted to get back out in the field and also set an example on participation in sport for their children. But it really has expanded uh, since you set this up. Hi, yeah, so we started, our team started um, in August 21. Um, now, the initiative is going since about 2009 with the Ladies Gaelic Association. Um, so we kind of started, we started off like that now. Um, a lot of, some of us were involved in the club. Um, and we just, it was a bit of a joke of training, I suppose. And then we said, well, we tried for the crack and we kind of did a bit of market research. And the first night of training, when we got a great coach, Dwayne, involved, um, the following week, we had 42 there. Um, and I suppose that night, uh, Dwayne asked everybody why you're here, and that w- I don't think anybody said football. Um, I think it was the social side and the crack and to get to know people in the community. Um, and I suppose it's just gone from strength to strength in our club. Um, and across the country, there's now 513 teams, with 46 in Cork alone, um, which is just absolutely amazing to see. Yeah, it's great. And it's great to see the activities and communities coming together because everybody is busy. A lot of mums who are rushing around during the day, you know, kind of working and then juggling the working and home life and collecting children from school that they can go and enjoy this in the evening and participate in sport because you train still, I presume, at St. Oliver Plunkett's in Ahiol. Yeah, we use the facilities in St. Oliver Plunkett. They're absolutely fantastic to us always, um, both for our club, Kilamila, and for the Gaelic for Mothers and Others. Um, and during the winter then, we use the Astro in Ballinascartage. So, in fairness, both clubs have been fantastic to us always. Um, so, we um, basically train for an hour, and then we can have you can have two activities a month, basically. Mm. So, either a blitz or a match. Um, and then there's always a national blitz every year up in Dublin, and there's a provincial blitz for every province. Um, and it's a fantastic fantastic way to meet other teams to have the crack um, this year we were very very lucky to get use of Cork Jade Parky Cueve so we did a fundraiser for Cork Art Cancer Support House which is um, a fantastic charity so we had 10 teams involved that kind of helped our team with fundraisers in the last two years um, and great day of football and then a big party afterwards in Parky Cueve so it was absolutely amazing but we love meeting the other teams um, it's just grown so much. Um, I think women are really, really see the absolute fantastic benefits that Gaelic Mother and Others brings to not only their own selves, but like to their clubs, 
to their communities. It's just fantastic, JP. Yeah, and a great experience uh, to play in Parque Cueve as well and uh, be on the field and experience what many others have done so over the years. Yeah, it's fantastic. Actually, in March, our, our team um, got to play with the Carrington Cougars. We got to play at halftime of the men's um, and yeah. league match, Cork versus Derry. So it was absolutely amazing. It was amazing, you know, for our kids. I've seen even this year, my own kids have played, you know, in the Astro and my own son played at halftime of another match, under 20 match. And like, when when I was going through, he was like, when they started playing that day, they were saying, Mom, it's the same as you. Oh my God. You know, like they were, it's kind of normalised in all our households now. It's normalised. Our kids see us going to training, going to matches. They treat you like, you know, like not an equal, but a sport, you know, that you're involved in sport as well. And it's so important for them, not only for our girls to see it, but for our boys to see it as well. Now, with Gaelic Mons and others, you don't have to be a mother um, at all. You just have to be over 25 and not playing with Ladies Football Club. But it's for people, you know, it's a great way to get to know neighbours. Like when I moved down to West Cork first, I'm from East Cork. Um, I moved down in 2011 and it probably wasn't until my oldest son started play school that I got to know people. So if this had been available to me, available to me, it would have been a fantastic way to get to know people before I had children um, and to get back out and get fit and all that kind of stuff that goes with it as well. Yeah, and even though you moved from east to west, I'm sure there's a lot of people who were grew up in uh, that area and may have left and come back and just trying to settle back in again to the area and try and reach out to those who they may have attended school with and that kind of thing. It does open up uh, the social side of it as well. And it's great to hear that what was one of the reasons it was set up for to encourage children to participate in sport, that's actually coming out and it's it's coming to fruition, which is fantastic to hear that from your own children. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, I, I suppose my daughter started playing with Kilomila when she was six, I suppose. Mm. I would have been a big J fan for years. I gave up football myself at 16, so I hadn't played in, like, 23 years. I never thought it was an option to play again. Um, so initiatives like this that are set by ladies football, you know, gives us all the opportunity. Um, like, I'm 41. Like, I, you know, there's people in our 30s, 40s, 50s that are playing, and this is never an option for us. So, like, it's absolutely fantastic now. I think that's half the balls that we feel like kids again. And our kids are watching, like, you know, sometimes kids come to our training matches and they're all playing our training and they'll be playing together. They come to our blitzes. Um, But what I find is it's a massive, it's like free therapy. It's just you go down and the belly laughs and the laughter and the sense of community. Like we have a, you know, big WhatsApp group and it's always binging. But it's, you know, if anyone needs anything, they'll put a message up and they're guaranteed to get, you know, to get, 10 answers or if someone feels like we've done a lot of fundraisers JP over the last two years um, we've raised over nearly over 18,000 for different charities with the help of different Gaelic mothers and other teams across the county as well in Cork and it's been amazing because the community gets behind it and I think it's great for our children to see that you can still play sport after a certain age especially the girls who drop out rate is much higher yeah, and uh, that's a good uh, example, actually, because a lot of girls do drop out uh, at certain ages. So it's great to see, when they see, it's like monkey see, monkey do, when they see you doing it, they may stay in sport for longer and, and that would benefit them as well. Mary has on text uh, asking regarding uh, mothers and others. She wasn't aware of this and she said, what a great idea. Uh, she's going to look for a club in her area because she finds in the evenings after a busy day, she's tired and just wants to sit down on the couch. Uh, but she feels something like this would inspire her. And I'm sure for yourselves you know a lot of you do feel like that you're wrecked after a long day but you kind of get a second wind I suppose when you head out to the pitch again regardless of what weather conditions you could be facing 
Definitely. We have been, so we laugh now about blitzes, especially football blitzes. If it's not raining, then it won't be our day. Because, like, <laughs> it's always raining when we go to blitz. It seems to be lately. We were very lucky this year at the National Blitz. It kind of held off. Yeah. But previous years, we've got absolutely drowned. In, like, in Mallow, um, do a fantastic Monster LJV plan, a fantastic blitz as well, um, in Mallow and Team Small Over Months to come. And this year, it just absolutely was ridiculous. But our girls, as usual, because, like, I can only talk for our team. They're an absolute pack of legends. But, like, they made fun out of jumping in puddles. And, like, we ended up on social media and the crack, you know, jumping in puddles, going, you know what, we're wet already. But you kind of just, you get into the buzz of it. Like, it's such a good feeling. Like, my sister-in-law says, if you could bottle it, like, it's just that feeling of... You know, you're on the couch. I've I've been there plenty of times, and next thing, like I know, I'm probably organising it. So I I have to go. Come on, girls! But there's plenty of nights where I'm like tired. But when I go on down to the field, and you just have the fresh air, and you have the laughter. By the time you're opening the car door, there's women laughing, and the crack is starting. Do you know what I mean? And like our coach Dwayne has to give us about five or ten minutes to get the chatter over with before we get going. But he knows what it's all about. Um, and like especially with the WhatsApp group it's great because you know training's on someone might say come on lads you know even though we're sitting down, you're sitting in front of the fire let's get out and do it you know for one night and have the crack and the laughter it's it's fantastic and you're in a better mindset after that and you're probably in a better mood then for the rest of the week as well because you're on a high after it so it does have a, a benefit that way um, and Rosaline within the Gaelic Mothers and others uh, you were picked to play in Crow Park as part of the Hatham Entertainment um, at one of the TG Carr Ladies All-Ireland Football Final yeah, so in 22, they, they've done it the last couple of years. So we were, we, it was a social media campaign and you have to prove why you're a proper fan. So in fairness, all the girls in the team got behind us and we kind of did, our campaign was where Mila moves, so it was about cows. Um, basically, we started kind of, I won't use the word stalking, we started <laughs> finding, um, now they do call me a stalker on occasion, I just like to track people down on social media, um, different celebrities and stuff. So we we always, everywhere we went, um, the girls would have a cow in their handbag. So I, my kids were like losing like their toy cows very often, but everyone had a cow in their handbag. So if you met anybody that was, you know, a player, a celebrity, some on the radio, like yourself, it didn't make a difference. You just asked them to do Mila Moose for Croker. And I suppose we did kind of fun videos. And I suppose the whole social media thing kind of started from there then. Um, I kind of do the Instagram and stuff like that. And I suppose I just probably realised... I. Um, like the impact that social media actually has, and like like that with the with the kids when people can see it, like they can see the crack and they want to do it. So like even the sign teams in West Cork now in the last two years, you know, like if you can see it happening, you can see how much people are enjoying it. Like our team especially do not take themselves too seriously at all. If you see us dressed up as cows at matches, we have cow tails and cow ears. Like, you should see the bags that are packed for New York. It's frightening how much cow themed stuff are going to be in people's bags. Can I ask why cows? I suppose we're, we're Keela Mila. And uh, at the very start, we were trying to get the bands going before, you know, to see if people would come the first month and all that stuff. Our coach, um, our coach's wife, Diane, came up with the fantastic names. There's loads of names floating around. And I suppose West Cork is for the dairy farmers. I'm married to one myself. And I suppose um, the moves then just came about. And I suppose it's kind of like we just don't take ourselves too seriously. We love the laughter. We love the crack. Um, now, my husband's probably a bit surprised that there's so much cow team stuff in our house because I've shown no interest in the farm for 15 years. <laughs> and but, all of a know, sudden now you have. <laughs> suddenly there's cow team stuff everywhere going to New York. Um, but I suppose it's all just, you know, it's to keep the non-competitiveness, to keep the, you know, that's the whole ethos of it. It's the fun, it's the social life, it's to get fit. 
Um, and the feel-good factor really comes across in, in, in the way you're selling it there. Now, the publicity you mentioned regarding the Mila Moose, it has encouraged other groups to set up locally in Cork, which is fantastic. But you've played in Parky Cueve, you've played in Crook Park. So this is just huge now that your dream was one of the days to bring the Mila Moose to New York. And as you mentioned, you were. So uh, tell us about what's happening in New York with the Blitz and when you're heading over there. Yeah, so we're heading over to New York uh, next weekend. Um, the Blitz is on Sunday, the 12th of November. So Pascal Sheehy came down. A lot of these things that probably have happened dirty were kind of chance your arm. The answer can only be no. And I'm a big believer. Only in the last two years since I kind of got involved again with a team, I suppose, we just have that positivity. And we're like, the answer can only be no. Let's just chance your arm. So Pascal Sheehy came down to us and we were on the RT radio, RT news before. We played in Crow Park the night before, which was just amazing. But when Pascal was down, we were joking about we'd love to bring it to New York. Now, at the time, we didn't realise Gaelic Months and Others was actually over there. So we didn't realise how easy it would be to do it. We just emailed the county boards in New York and they had done a blitz there before. And then they said they'd do another one this year. Um, so ourselves and seven other teams from Ireland are now travelling to New York next weekend to fly out from Shannon Dublin Airport. And we'll play in Gaelic Park on the 12th of November, um, which is just like, it's just fantastic like these things are all just kind of chance your arm and like all these things are happening we're all just there going oh my god this is like a roller coaster it's amazing and the blitz is this competitive or will you it will be a lot of fun there as well i'm sure when you're in new york but it's, will there be an overall winner no not at all no so it's exactly the same ethos as same it's thing. Like okay. yeah so it's it's new york teams it will be gaelic months and others and there's eight gaelic months and others teams traveling from new york as well so it's completely non-competitive again now it's uh fancy dress is um, they, they want people to dress up to, if you if you want to. So obviously the cows are are on their way as well. Yeah, all the cow team stuff. But it's no, it's like it just be the same thing, same fun, the crack. Like we will be playing football, of course, and then it's the the party after. I suppose now the New York ladies are after putting so much organisation into it. They're fantastic, and we they have a fantastic welcome night for us um, in an Irish bar, the Brazen Tavern, over on the Friday night. So we're really looking forward to that. Where we'll meet we'll meet all the teams from Ireland and from New York. Um, now, we have met some of the teams already at the National Blitz this year, which went, if it's anything to go by with the crack we had then, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and how long are you in New York for? Uh, yeah, so we're going t- uh, Thursday to Tuesday. Um, I suppose not all of us from the team are going like with life um, life responsibilities. This wasn't job responsibilities. There's, there's 17 of us going and there's loads more that would love to go, obviously, as well, but we couldn't. So we're... Uh, there's also I'd say there were over 200 women I'd say in total um, over the eight teams because there's a lot from up the country going as well so it'll be it'll be unbelievable and it's a great way to I suppose showcase Gaelic Smuts and others even though they already have it as well across in New York as well and just the whole kind of G, like GLA's football community, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great and a great initiative and well done to you. And I think New York beware uh, with 17. Is it 17 for Mila Moose in total heading over? There's 17 Milamoos and then there's, and then there's, over, others across there's the... over 200 across the <laughs> Gaelic mothers and others across the country. So okay. I said there's a lot of notices on fridges, find your food in the freezer and different things for a lot of bars, I think. So for those <laughs> who are going out with people or, or are married, the, the, the lads will be staying at home and the ladies are heading off to enjoy New York. Best of luck with the Blitz, uh, Rosaline. Have a great time in New York and we look forward to hearing about the story when you return. Thanks a million, JP. And Take just care. let people yep. know that 
just to let people know as well, if they are trying to find the club in their area. I was going to ask how you get involved, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So the Ladies Gaelic Association website is fantastic and you can find the club or I, it's very easy to set one up as well. If you haven't got one in your local GA club or your local area, you can set one up as well. But the Ladies Gaelic have fantastic um, information on their website. Okay, that's uh, fantastic to know that and we'll pass on those details to people who are already in contact with us about uh, getting involved in Gaelic Mothers and Others. Best of luck to the media moves and enjoy New York, Rosaline. Take care. Thanks, JP. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. You. Rosaline there. Uh, Rosaline O'Brien that is joining us from Mila Moves who play uh, out of Kilomina Ladies Football Club in Ahiol. We wish them the best and indeed all teams uh, that are going to New York the very best of luck with that blitz. Hi to a number of people including this person on WhatsApp who says Mila Moves it sounds just fantastic good for exercise and indeed good for your mental and physical health well done to them somebody else saying huge health benefits there and another person saying what an ambassador for the media moves best of luck to them in New York indeed uh, Rosaline really uh, selling uh, those who wish to get involved in uh, that scheme uh, Gaelic Mothers and Others a great initiative there and we wish them the very best of luck in New York it's Cork today JP with you until one and Bernie taking your calls and comments and indeed your gardening questions because Peter Doddle uh, the error Gardener will be joining us after 12.30. If you have a question for Peter, get that to us now. You can email corktoday at c103.ie call Bernie on 0818103103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 uh, But a lot of calls and comments to get through before we go to Peter and first of all, an email from Angela and she's asking about ATMs being out of order quite a bit and this is in Bandon and she says, JP, the ATMs ATMs in Bandon are out of order more than they are working. Now, these are the ATMs located on South Main Street in Bandon and they're all belong to the main banks. I wonder why this is. Last weekend, for the bank holiday, one of them had out of service and I noticed at weekends and indeed sometimes in the evening they are out of service. Now, I also read a piece um, in the Bandon Opinion or the Opinion magazine uh, as it is now uh, over the last week as well. They had an article on this. So it's not just Angela. I think a lot of people must be noticing this in Bandon and I'm sure it, it may be happening in other towns. I don't know, is it because more people are now using their card and are tapping when they're out and maybe not getting cash out as much, even though uh, myself, anyhow, and I think a lot of people would always carry some amount of cash because there's been times you've been out somewhere or going to pay something and either the broadband in that establishment will be gone down so they can't take cards or something goes wrong with the card machine. So the cash is the backup. So I think a lot of us would still uh, take cash out of an ATM, even though tapping is really the way it's going, I suppose, at the moment. But still, uh, cash is king, a lot of people would say. Anyhow, the main banks uh, there on South Main Street would be AIB, Bank of Ireland and uh, Permanent TSB. Now, the banks apologise, as they would do, uh, but Angela and others asking, why is this allowed to happen? And again, uh, the banks just say that either uh, the machines run out of money and that's why they say out of service. And maybe it is because people are using their the cards more for tapping and not relying on ATMs more. So maybe slowly they're not is it putting as much cash in the ATMs that they run out or is the demand there that at weekends and indeed evenings when people are using those ATMs more so than those located within the bank or at the, uh, well, if you're lucky enough to go to a customer service desk these days in a bank uh, that they use the machines outside and that's why they uh, run out during the weekends and indeed evenings. Not too sure 
why they do but more so than ever anyhow if you're in Bandon or indeed other towns may notice this as well Angela thank you for your email Cork today at c103.ie and earlier we were discussing school suspensions and why over 9,000 students have been suspended last year from both primary and indeed secondary schools the information uh, was under Freedom of Information Act from Tusla to the Irish Examiner and Children's Rights Alliance who were asking questions and we spoke with them and why this is happening and the reasons behind this well a lot of calls and comments in on this first of all Michael who says listening to this conversation regarding the schools he says and he feels that the young people who are being problematic in school or indeed in clubs etc uh, they really are the big sufferers in this situation uh, because they're the ones who as in the kids who aren't being problematic I suppose you mean uh, they're the ones who want to learn and engage and they're being prevented in doing so uh, by other pupils some of these kids go out of their way to be disrespectful and disruptive and parents have a huge role to play here. The attitude of kids wouldn't do anything wrong, I'd say, is the rose-tinted glass approach says uh, Michael, for those parents who feel or maybe react when a teacher brings them in that their kids won't do anything wrong. Uh, is not the right approach as their child could be the one but Michael making a good point, I suppose, in any school or indeed clubs, uh, it's the young people who were trying to learn can be the big sufferers in the situation because you have others in the classroom who are being disrespectful or indeed uh, being disruptive. Michael, thank you for your text to 0862103103. Alison feels many students are good and home life can be a factor. While bad behaviour cannot be tolerated, she says, I do think the authorities should look at the backgrounds and indeed why a child is being disruptive in the classroom. Uh, there has to be a reason behind everything, feels Alison. While Johnny, this is a good insight from Johnny. Uh, Johnny now lives in the UK, or sorry, lives in Ireland but grew up in the UK uh, within England, he said, in Northern England he grew up, but now living in Ireland and he would consider himself troublesome uh, in school. Mainly though, he says, the reason for this was his mother left their family unit at a young age and his dad raised him, but it was tough. Now Johnny says he would not uh, have been very disruptive in school, but messing and would have skipped school some days. And yes, disruption would have played a part, but he was never Never, uh, really throwing anything around the classroom. He said it was by way of messing, but it did turn uh, the classroom upside down many a times by way of the teacher could not control one student getting out of hand. All the class would get out of hand and then you would have people who were either put on detention or were told to go to a behaviour unit uh, and there was a huge impact for those who were trying to learn uh, within the school. However, he said... In the school he went to, they had an amazing principal. Now, he can call her that these days, but even at the time, he said, while everything was going, Johnny felt wrong in his life, he knew this principal was doing her best for everyone in the school. Uh, Johnny reckons only for her and others uh, like him uh, that she got his family back on the right track. Uh, Not possible for every school to do this, he said, but it does Look, if you look background checks, whatever he says, you look at the disruption in the classroom, there's always a reason behind it. His principal actually called to their house and checked up to see where they okay and why he said initially he never got a or she never got a, a, a good answer from his dad. Uh, in the end, she did get through. She did speak to them. 
and Johnny Fields turned the life of him and indeed his brothers and sisters around. Uh, maybe not possible, as he says, for every school principal to do this, but he always remembers uh, this one school principal for that. So Johnny says, look at the background of those in the school classroom. A disruption in the classroom has a reason behind this. So Johnny's message uh, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And thank you for that message, Johnny. And an insight into your own life and why you think that could be one of the reasons how uh, children and students in schools do get suspended. But a big number last year as we heard and we spoke with the Children's Rights Alliance uh, before uh, midday. Uh, Also, Earlier on the show, we were discussing the issue with the Central Hotel, the former Central Hotel site in Mallow, and what now is the future of that location, considering a derelict site order has been put on that former building. Uh, well, when we spoke about the plaza, because there was talks of putting a plaza there at one point, and I was making the point, do you put a plaza there now but what happens to the existing plaza uh, which took up a lane of traffic at the end of Town, where people were not happy with that and many feel that has uh, caused traffic tailbacks right across the town of Mallow. Uh, One person says, please don't waste any more money by moving the plaza from one place to another. Get rid of it. It should never have been put there in the first place. And now, and yes, councillors have said this this morning on the show, uh, now they are admitting it was a mistake. They never see the bigger picture, uh, says that person on text to 0862103103. And regarding hotels and hotels increasing uh, their prices on the nights of the Bruce Springsteen concerts, not only here in Cork, but in cities where he's playing across Ireland, uh, Pat Informoy says if Pat buys a ticket for a, a Bruce Springsteen concert or indeed any concert, he can only resell it at face value but the hotels can charge what they like. The government should limit the amount the hotels can raise their prices. Something in law, maybe Pat is suggesting that you can't increase your price by over a certain amount and that might stop uh, the huge hikes we are seeing when it comes to hotel prices. Passion for my, thank you for your call to Bernie on 0818-103-103. And then William in the city is raising this point because he was watching Bloomberg uh, television this morning and he said they were discussing a worldwide shortage of sugar. And is this another argument again for opening up a sugar factory in Mallow, asks William. Uh, Well, everybody knows the story, I suppose, of the sugar industry in Ireland that it it is now gone. Now, there was talks at some stage of it being brought back and while there was hope it was in Mallow, I think somewhere in Carlo was the site, if it was going to be brought back, it never did happen. And now we don't have a sugar industry in this country. But uh, there's been a development only in the last uh, few hours on that story. Uh, and, and again, this is coming from Bloomberg. It seems now while there is a global shortage of sugar, uh, it's going to ease. And that is thanks to a corn supply boom uh, that is coming in Brazil. Uh, and that hopefully will have a knock-on effect for sugar supply. And they're also hoping uh, that this may uh, ease the uh, amplifying global food inflation that we are seeing at the moment uh, But by what will come from Brazil but at the moment anyhow some good news to that story in the last while uh, that there will be an ease and the sugar shortage that we spoke about that you saw William uh, will be easing over the next while thank you for that and something we'll get to on tomorrow's show won't get to it today now but this is on uh, some good news but indeed our energy prices are going to decrease over the next while maybe not decreasing as much as they have increased though over the last two to three years but Martin is in Mitchellstown now he got his electricity bill yesterday he's on a smart 
Smart Meter and his bill this time was €109.94. Now, this was before the reductions are hitting in from today, but he said that last time he got his bill, it was just €28. Now, Martin is a pensioner, so he can't afford to pay that much. So, uh, well, first of all, on that, Martin, I would contact your electricity provider and say that if you can't afford to pay it, uh, enter into an agreement with them and also ask why do they think it's so, it's gone or has increased that much. The other thing is, and because we had a listener a few, well, was it, I think it was last month maybe or the month before in September, uh, that was in a similar situation. And the reason there was a jump is because that person was still uh, receiving the energy credits from last year. So they had a credit on their bill. So then when they got the bill in September, there was a significant jump because for the last while they were basically, the, the credit was covering their bill. And then their last bill was low because they still were in credit. But when you get the bill and your credit's gone uh, then there was a significant jump and it, it did uh, it will startle people when they get the ESB bill and, and they see that price so uh, that could be one of the reasons may not be but just it could be one of the reasons for you Martin but I certainly would contact your energy provider because anybody we have dealt with in the past if you make contact with them they will put some kind of payment plan in place uh, and they'll know exactly also because if you have a smart meter they'll figure out where uh, the usage is coming from within your households if that helps you out Martin in Mitchellstown thank you for your call to Bernie on 0818 103 103 and hi to Anne who texted us yesterday afternoon and this was in relation to scam texts and the e-flow one that everybody is so familiar with. It is back and doing the rounds again. So and just telling people to be careful if you get that text from e-flow. It's once again doing the rounds. And uh, something I'll get to quite shortly. This is to do with pension contributions and how the Oireachtas Social Protection Committee are looking at new laws now, uh, which could uh, recommend that the age you receive your state pension could increase. And this all to do with an age population. A lot of calls and comments came in to the show yesterday after we discussed it. Uh, we'll go back to those after the break and indeed keep your gardening questions coming for Peter as well. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie on 0818103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Anna and Cara will hold their Cork City meeting. That's going ahead this evening at 7.15pm in the Maryborough Hotel in Douglas. It's for all bereaved parents and everyone is welcome, regardless of the age of the child or indeed the circumstances of death. If you want more information, you can email info at anamcara.ie. And Donorell Active Retirement Association, they are hosting a Light Up for Loved Ones event. And that's going ahead this evening at the Presentational Pastoral Centre. It's for all night and it's going ahead this evening from 6 to 7 o'clock. Everybody is invited to go ahead there tonight in Donnerill. And the McCroom branch of the Irish Guide Dogs Association will hold a fundraising evening of Flora and Song. It's going ahead this coming Friday at 8 o'clock in the Castle Hotel in McCroom and the event will include a flower demo. If you want to include your event in the Cork Diary, you can email diary at c103.ie Email Patricia now now with your story or comment, Cork Today at C103.ie. Cork Today on C103. 
On the show yesterday, we heard how a new report has recommended workers should be allowed to defer their pensions until they're 75 to let them make more of a PRSI contribution. And the recommendation was made from the Oireachtas Social Protection Committee, which looks at the new laws coming into effect. And this will allow people to get a higher payment if they defer their pension for four years up to the age of 70. However, the committee is recommending workers with a mixed PRSI record that they should have the option to defer their state pension and continue making contributions until they're aged 75. Well, the economist and lecturer at UCD, Colin McCarthy, he said it's likely the state pension age that it will need to increase into the future because of an ageing population and also people are living longer. First of all, before I get into a lot of comments we got yesterday afternoon on this, here is Colin McCarthy speaking yesterday to our newsroom. The cost just rocket if people live longer. It's all very fine to say, uh, you're 65, we'll give you a pension at 65, but we know perfectly well that you're not going to be around longer than a few years than the state can afford to pay. But if you're going to hang, hang around until you're 85 or 90 or something, then the system goes bust. So we are all living longer and then uh, we have an ageing population as well to pay uh, for the pension pot in Ireland. So a mixed reaction on this. First of all, Jennifer Jennifer Fields, it's a good idea. Uh, She says we have to be responsible and realise that we cannot afford the current pension levels that everybody is receiving in Ireland. Of course, uh, the government will have to increase the pension age if people in the future want to receive a state pension. Uh, A lot of people making the argument in, which was made yesterday, that if you're in a public job, you may get a better pension than those working in the private service. And many people with a private pension, uh, things change so fast because your pension more or less is based on stocks and shares. And if things go wrong, uh, all the money you invested, you may not get back. So you could be in a quite a low uh, pension, if anything, from your own private pension. And you have no choice then just to rely on the state pension. So people, as we know, and we've spoken to over the last number of years and that's from the last recession in Ireland who were impacted by that uh, just now rely on the state pension and they find that tough Uh, even though the state pension in Ireland is one of the most generous in Europe they do find it tough because our cost of living also is very very high in this country and then Jerry was on to us. He said he cannot work until he's into his 70s. Jerry works in construction. He said, I can't be uh, lifting blocks and expected to finish off building houses. And while he is getting into his 50s now uh, and there is younger workers doing a lot in the bulk of the work, Jerry still does a lot of the heavy lifting. But he says it makes no sense. Uh, they surely can come up with a better solution as every industry is different and you can't expect the construction worker to work into his 70s. How would that work? Uh, It just would be very unfair. Uh, Jerry making the comments regarding those who work in construction and indeed, as we heard yesterday, maybe people working as electricians or plumbers or whatnot. And then another view on this uh, and this is from a, a person on WhatsApp who says, uh, Ireland now has a small squeezed workforce, but the government ignores the large cohort of society who could rejoin the workforce and help to improve the current situation. And this WhatsApper is referring to older women who are eager to return to the workforce after up to 25 years of child rearing, but face many roadblocks with the numerous walls to climb. Now, these people are intelligent. They're hard workers who speak English fluently and have 
have a broad skill set. They are agile and cooperative, but their existence is overlooked by the government and by most employers, except for a few pharma, accounting and tech companies, says this person on WhatsApp. Many of these women have taken courses such as UCC's Rejuvenate uh, Services, which is a great course and a great programme to prepare for their return to the workplace. But quite simply, employers do not see returning mums as potentially valuable employees. UK employers very cleverly reach out to the returners with returnships. They're a bit like internships across a wide spectrum of jobs. But Ireland is missing out on this massive potential. Thank you uh, for your WhatsApp on that. You make a very good point. And also within that, well, you'll have mums who you know are, are, are going back to work and, as you rightly say, have you know rare their, their children or their child. Uh, a lot of those will be staying around. So they won't be heading off to go elsewhere, as in leave Ireland to go to another country or go to work in Canada or Australia. They'll be loyal enough to the company that employs them. So they'll have a longevity with that company as well. So thank you for your WhatsApp on that. Uh, Some of the points made when we were discussing the pension age yesterday that came to us yesterday afternoon uh, to the show. Thank you for your comments. You can always email us, corktoday at c103.ie. And uh, very finally, uh, we were speaking about coastal erosion yesterday because that is something that that the government are looking at at the moment and there's a number of groups interested in this because it's the east coast of Ireland is going to be impacted first uh, more than the west coast. Whatever rock formation is on the west coast of Ireland, the east coast is going to see uh, more coastal erosion. But this WhatsApp came in to us as well yesterday evening regarding that issue we discussed yesterday and uh, uh, this person is reacting to people who were messaging in about coastal erosion. She feels uh, the discussion from the people who uh, were on about raising hillside communities and and more uh, that they're all missing the point. She says everybody is just basically missing the point feels this person. Rising sea levels and flooding uh, is the result of climate change which is happening because of the continued way in which we choose to live on this planet. Our carbon emissions are causing a rise in the planet's temperature, leading to rising sea levels, wetter weather in some parts and heat waves in other parts. So instead of giving out about investing in coastal defences, people need to educate themselves to live greener lives. The reason our planet is destroyed is because people cannot see two metres outside their own door until the floods. Uh, that person on WhatsApp, thank you for that, on 0862103103. And now, speaking of floods, and Cork County Council have issued a statement regarding the advance of Storm Ciarán, which is due to hit earlier. Uh, first of all, we did speak with Alan O'Reilly from Carlow Weather yesterday, and it does seem that compared to the weather we got a few weeks ago, hopefully Ireland won't see uh, the worst of this, and us here in Cork see the worst of it. This is what Alan said to us on the show. There is a risk, though, of heavy rain on the on the north side or the top of the storm catching especially southern areas. Small change in the track for Storm Ciaran can make a big difference in the amount of rainfall that uh, we see in, in parts of, like, say, Cork and Waterford and Wexford and even Kerry. So at the moment, it doesn't look too bad, but that could change. And at the moment, Cork County Council and indeed Matt Aaron, they're saying we will have heavy rain and strong winds that would lead to poor visibility later this evening for dangerous driving conditions, of course, also. Uh, but Cork County Council crews, they are on standby and in several known risk locations across Cork County, crews are currently cleaning out and clearing inlets and gullies and sandbags and pumping arrangements will be in place in those known problems locations and we'll have updates right across the area.
afternoon and evening. Uh, so stay tuned on the latest for Storm Kiron. Hopefully we won't see a huge impact on it, uh, but the way it's travelling, uh, they're asking people to keep an eye out and, and just be prepared anyhow uh, for what may happen. But by all accounts, we won't see anything like we have seen, fingers crossed, over the last few weeks in terms of rainfall and flooding. But again, we'll have to uh, be safe on that one. Now, from Saturday at midday, Trevor Welch is back with Premier League Live on C103.ie. It's powered by Talk Sport. And this weekend, he'll bring you live coverage of Fulham and Manchester United from 12.30. Manchester City taking on Bournemouth at 3 and it's 5.30. It's Newcastle United. They'll play Arsenal. The Premier League Live, it's online. It's with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You can listen this Saturday on the C103 app or go to C103.ie. Your gardening questions are welcome. Peter Dowdall, theirishgardener.com. He'll join us next. Call Bernie with your questions on 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. We'll join Peter next. Court today on C103. And as usual, on a Wednesday, joined by Peter Dowdall, theirishgardener.com. Good afternoon to you, Peter. <laughs> Good afternoon, JP. How are you? I'm fine. And while the weather is a bit all over the place for gardening, still a lot of questions in, Peter, so we'll get right into them here. And first of all, this is from Nora May. And Nora May, Peter, last month, she wanted to put down new daffodil bulbs, but the ground was just so wet that she said she'd wait. Now she wants to know, is it getting too late to plant and could the bulbs rot in the ground if she planted them now? No, yes, and no is the answer to that, right? Um, so the answer is, is it too late to plant your daffodil bulbs? Absolutely not. I've been advising everybody, in fact, to, to, to hold tough on spring planting spring bulbs this year because uh, not nothing to do with the flooding originally. It was because the temperature, we had 30 degrees nearly in September, JP, if you remember. So... Uh, I was it was the, the temperatures were far too high to be planting all, uh, spring bulbs in September and even in early October. Um, and then now the temperatures are dropping, but of course we're faced with the situation where the soil is waterlogged. So there's only two times in Ireland really where you can't plant into the garden. One is when the ground is physically frozen and the second is when the ground is waterlogged, which of course is an issue facing I would say 95%, if not 100% of gardens in Ireland at the moment. So I wouldn't encourage you to plant daffodil bulbs or tulips or any of them into the ground if it's waterlogged, because yes, they will rot. They'll just simply drown. Uh, And unfortunately for those who have planted bulbs up to now, and if the garden is now waterlogged, the the, the bulbs will be at risk. Now, now gardens and plants are very forgiving, John Paul, in that if if the ground is only temporarily flooded and it drains away after 24, 48 hours, they should be fine. But if they're sitting in ground that is waterlogged, then they probably won't be, I'm afraid. So the long way around to, to, to answer the question is I, you, you've, you're not under any time pressure because the temperature is only now beginning to drop. So you're not under any time pressure. And I would err on the side of caution and wait till the ground has dried out a bit because who knows what's to come for the rest of this week in terms of, of rainfall. So I would probably hold tough on it uh, for another week anyway and see what's happening with the, with the rain. All right, Nora May, best of luck with that. And a WhatsApper who has a Ponsettia since last year. Now, it's in good condition, Peter, but it's losing red leaves at the moment. And will some of those new leaves, will they turn red or what can this person do? The the the, the answer is the, you will get more. They're, they're actually modified leaves. They're floral bracts, these, these red ones that we, we, we associate with Christmas. Um, 
they will go red, but to get them red for Christmas, the commercial growers, they, they put them under kind of artificial conditions to make them think that it's coming into the spring and summer because they're native to Mexico and that's when they flower and that's when the red is, is prevalent over there. But over here, of course, it's synonymous with Christmas. So we trick the plant, commercially, we trick the plant into thinking that it's a few months later than what it is. So the answer to your question or the question is, uh, they, the you will get more red leaves in it, but I can't, I'm afraid, say when. And I wouldn't go to the effort of trying to to create the artificial conditions to trick the plant because if you move that plant too much or interfere with that plant too much, you, you do risk it losing its even more leaves. If it's happy where it is, if it survived since last year where it is, I would leave well alone. Uh, and this may not be the answer that you want to hear, but I would leave the red leaves happen when they happen, if you know what I mean, because otherwise you're leaving the plant exactly where it is and then you're going to have to create the artificial conditions in your kitchen or your living room or wherever it is, which, uh, which won't be what you want i'm afraid so uh, the good news is the plant is doing fine when the leaves will go red i can't say for sure i'm afraid and just staying on that whatsapper they also have begonias which are still in flower but they want to know should they lift out the bulbs no wait till wait till the flowers are gone again because of the temperatures being being so mild up to now things are flowering quite later uh quite a bit later like begonias are still in flower in the first of november um it's not unheard of, but it is a bit unusual that they haven't died back by now. So I would wait till they die back. So when, when we do get the, the, the real dip in temperatures, it was four degrees. I don't know, was it yesterday morning or this morning? It was four degrees, I noticed in the car. Um, so it is, they are dipping. So when, when, they, when the, the, the flowers die off and when the foliage of that begonia dies off, then that's time enough to lift the bulbs to plant out for next year. And speaking of the temperatures, the dipping, Dan is in from all. He has a lot of geranium cuttings. He wants to know, how can he protect them during the winter? He is afraid they will die if they get any frost damage. Well, they would if they got a serious frost damage, yes. But um, so leaving them out, if you're going to leave them, if ideally you would have a little greenhouse or a polytunnel or even, even a well-lit garden shed or carport, anything like that covered area would be fine for them. But if you don't have any of that and they have to stay outside, you'd be fine for 90% of the summer. But for those few mornings that we are going to get frost and maybe even snow, I would put a bit of, you can get horticultural fleece, John Paul, um, and just put that over it. That's a breathable material which keeps the frost off the geraniums or off whatever you put it on. Uh, it's important to use that as opposed to plastic because uh, plastic isn't obviously breathable and you'll lead to a buildup of condensation and you can, you can, it can be more trouble than what it's worth. So get yourself a roll of horticultural fleece. It's not an expensive product uh, and use that. Cover the geraniums with that uh, during the frosty nights. Okay, and we mentioned there about polytunnels, uh, Peter. Marion is in Glanthorne. She has one, but she wants to know what can she grow over the winter? And if it gets very cold in there, which it does in her one during the winter, what plants would survive then? She's worried that whatever she might set may die. If, if she, I don't know, is she talking about uh, edible and vegetable plants or, or like what, what you can use a polytunnel for? And what I use them for is kind of frost protection, if you like. So I bring in my frost tender ones and protect them in the tunnel during the winter. Um, but you can also start off the seed, your seeds. So all your summer flowering plants can be started off now. Well, not all, but a lot of your, your summer flowering uh, annual plants can be started off uh, in the polytunnel now. Because they have the cover, even if we do get frost, that, that cover will keep it away from what's inside. Um, I wouldn't be too worried of, of harm coming to the plants in the tunnel unless we had, you know, the beasts from the east all over again, uh, a, a one in 10 or one in 20 year winter. Um, 
So I wouldn't really be worried about frost getting into the tunnel. So you could start off your summer flowering plants in there with a view to plant. The the advantage of doing that is you have stronger plants quicker earlier in the season next year. So you'll have more colour and more flower next year. If if you're looking at things to grow in terms of edibles, you could start off spring cabbages. You could start your, your salad crops, your lettuces, radishes, all those kind of things could be done in the tunnel. If we are getting one of those very extreme winters where even plants in the tunnel are at risk, again, your role of horticultural fleece just to, to put over them will protect them or should protect them. And even though Halloween was yesterday, Peter, Margaret wants to know when you should plant pumpkin seeds and if they require any specific planting conditions. Well, no, not particularly. When you plant them, you'll start them off in the spring of next year. Um, they like a good, open, free-draining soil. Give them plenty of space because they will spread quite a bit. You can also grow them in a tunnel if you want, but obviously you'll have to pay attention to watering. Um uh, and a good sunny position, you know, start them off as seed in the spring, plant them out during the early summer, uh, and then you'll be harvesting them, obviously, any time before yesterday. OK. Uh, and very finally, this is a person, uh, this is uh, Lawrence, who's, uh, it appears his lawn uh, keeps getting flooded in the same location for the last number of weeks, obviously due to the uh, heavy rain we've been experiencing. But that part of the lawn just isn't recovering now. It's not, the grass isn't growing back. It's just gone all muddy. Uh, what would you suggest for him when things eventually dry up? That's a difficult one to answer, actually, John Paul, because it depends what's causing the flooding in that localised mm. area. And I suspect if it's just in one area of the of the lawn, it could be soil compaction. So in other words, uh, I don't know if his house is in the middle of a housing estate or if it's a one-off or what, but when those houses were being built, or it doesn't say either whether it's a new enough house or not, but when houses are being built, obviously you have a lot of heavy machinery going across the soil and they tend to go in one track and park in one area and skips and things. And the soil underneath it can get very, very compacted. Okay, Uh, And what happens then is obviously it manifests itself over the next number of years as very poor drainage. So soil soil compaction like that is fixable. Uh, You can excavate the soil and just improve the structure by adding more and more organic matter uh, and maybe putting in some fresh topsoil. And that will help if compaction is the issue. If it's just the the rising uh, water table, so in other words, if the actual water table is just increasing to that point, uh, there's nothing you can do really except grin and bear it. But it's less likely to be the water table because it's only such a small area of the garden. However, as I said at the start, plants are very forgiving. They'll cope with being flooded or being frozen or, you know, extreme weather events for a short period of time. If it's water and grass will bounce back, we've all seen it bounce back after droughts where it looks dead and then the first shower of rain, it greens up. In this situation, when it's been flooded for so long that it has, the grass has died, really you're going to have to sow that seed again and it'll be in March. But really you need to look at what is the underlying issue, what's causing it. Is it soil compaction or is it the rising water table? If it's a rising water table, I would probably work with nature and not try and grow lawn in that area and maybe put in some some plants that will like to be sitting in in very, very wet soil, like maybe a few dogwoods or willows or something like that. Okay, Peter, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us and we'll chat to you again next week. That is Peter Doddall there of theirishgardener.com and you can check him out on Facebook or indeed on Instagram at the Irish Gardener. And also this week on Friday from 11.45 on Hours to Protect, we're going to hear from a member of Composting Ireland who are working with schools around the country to educate on the benefits of composting. That's on this Friday's show. Enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. Take care if you're on the road to Leisure or due to that storm. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced I'm John Paul McNamara. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. with Cork Today. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.